Hey everyone, welcome to the Land of Hope podcast. Come with us this week as we plant our feet in the Land of Hope. Talk about what we do to prepare ourselves for the dark night of the soul or the wall or these times in our lives where we feel like we're in the dark and we don't know if it'll ever get light again, (laughs) right? That we've all had. If you just look at my teenage years, I probably had 12. But to review, the wall or the dark night of the soul is a place where we no longer feel the benefits of following God, only the sacrifices. Our emotions, senses, and perceptions of God and ourselves go haywire in this time like a compass that can't find north, and we tend to feel disoriented. And the things that we usually go to to orient ourselves, so the things we've been told are supposed to help us find our footing, right? So, I mean, you can shout them out, but like they would be reading the Bible, right? Just read your Bible more. That will fix this problem, right? Devotional practices, you need to pray more. Worship, being at church and just experiences with God. These things that we usually use to ground ourselves in these times where we feel unsure aren't usually, don't usually work in the dark night of the soul, which is a blessing because what that is showing us is that our best efforts to kind of pull ourselves out of this time are actually not enough or not um, Efficacious, is that a word? Okay, thank you, mom. In this time. So we often try those things harder. What should I do if I'm having a hard time? I should make sure I'm at church. I should go to church twice a week. I should go to church three times a week. I should be at church every single day. Whatever it is, we try these things harder, but often to no avail. And this wall or dark night of the soul can coincide with depression, anxiety, or tragic loss, but it doesn't have to. Sometimes we find ourselves in the dark night of the soul or at this wall that we can't seem to break through, and it's just a deadness in the air that we can't point to something and say, it's because I'm overwhelmed, it's because I just lost someone. Sometimes it just seems to happen in our walk with God that suddenly it's hard to hear his voice, or I feel dry, or I just, I don't care (laughs) about things I used to care about. And it's only when we give up going over or around (laughs) or under, and we accept the dark night of the soul or the wall as a potential gift to us, that we can actually say yes to going through whatever God is asking us to go through. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that God sends bad circumstances in order for you to figure out who he really is or who you really are. I'm saying that our God wastes nothing. And he is always willing to turn graves into gardens. So it's not a matter of him causing it, but rather him saying, how will you respond in this time? So that's what the wall or the dark night of the soul is. Okay, this this place we can get back to. And so this week I thought, let's talk about how do we, when we come to these dark nights of the soul or these walls, which we all will, and all 
already have, most likely. Like, what do we do so that when we get there, we, we have something? We, we've experienced something. We, we know in some way how to faithfully walk through them because, as we've talked about in emotionally healthy spirituality, we have options when we get to the wall. We can come to that dark place or that wall in our walk with God and we can bounce right off it and say, I don't want any of this. I don't want to go through a hard time. Back it on up. I'm going to stay in the shallow end. And we can refuse the transformation that that kind of dark place offers us and just say, forget it. I'm just going to back on it. The other thing, which I like to do at the wall, is figure it out. And by my own effort or stalwart kind of, I can get through this. I can get back on my own two feet. I can do everything I know to do. Kind of miss the mystery God's asking me to be a part of and just try to do it myself, right? And what I find is you can come up against the same wall, same dark night of the soul, multiple times, and it's, you can learn nothing. I mean, that, that, is a, that is a possibility, right? We can reject it, or we can just figure it out and muscle it out, and then on the other side, come out having not learned what the Lord maybe would have us learn. Because what the wall, this dark night of the soul does, is it forces you to go inward. It's rubber meets the road time. So for instance, in Job, he says, my eyes had heard of you. Nope. My ears had heard of you. <laughs> but now my eyes have seen you. And that's what happens at the wall. You can think all the right things about God and know all the right things about God and have theories about who he is, but it's in the dark night of the soul that the rubber meets the road. And you're like, oh, is that really true? Is he really good? Is he really faithful? Do I really believe these things? I mean, it tests you in a way where when you come out the other side, some people lose their faith, some people choose not to go into the deep waters, and some people come out the other side and they are more of the person that they are meant to be, Amen. that God has for them to be. They're more merciful to others. They're more humble, they're more teachable. They usually know what they actually think about things, not just what they've been told, but what they actually believe and know to be true about who God is. So that's the wall or the dark night of the soul. But today we're going to talk about the well, okay, W-E-L-L. -L. And that is what we go back to in these times of the dark night of the soul. Now I'm going to tell you what my devotional life looks like nowadays, okay? <laughs> On a great day, coinciding with nap time, I can be quiet before the Lord for about seven to 10 minutes. I can do my day-by-day -day devotional. Maybe, if we're getting real crazy, I can journal, like write down my thoughts 
about things to the and and that's like a really that happens like once a week where I'm like I spent a full 30 minutes like getting time with the Lord and the rest of the time if I get to do my devotional that day that's great and if I get to read the Bible that day it's great but there's not a ton of space quiet time there's not a lot of time to linger in my time with God like there was, okay? I go back to my 18-year-old self living in my parents' basement. I'm an intern, I'm opening at Starbucks, I'm going to college. I live on three hours of sleep because you remember those days? Remember when we could do that? Julie says no, she says she could never do that. <laughs> and I would spend hours in my room, worship music, journaling, reading God's word, saying, this is the woman I want to be by next year. This is the woman I want to be in three years. This is the woman I want to be in 10 years. And just talking with the Lord and dreaming about what his word said and who I wanted to be. A lot of it focused around like being in control of my mouth and not, <laughs> not being harsh with people, not being too direct with people, right? And just growing my character with the Lord. And you see that that, that is my well. That is what I go back to. That is, I'm still drawing water from that time in my life. Does that make sense? So that at this time in my life, where the time is short, <laughs> and I don't have hours, and I can't live on three hours of sleep, that's for sure. You want to hear my nap schedule yesterday? 9.30 a.m., 11.30 a.m., 2 p.m. Naps all day long. And then I fell asleep at 11 and slept all night. Okay, there's not a lot of time for lingering in God's word when your eyes shut on their own. <laughs> that's a good Sabbath. Three naps, that's a good Sabbath. And so what I'm saying is, is that in these times in our lives where we come up against these hard things, we feel like we can't hear God's voice. The things we're usually, you know, we're, we're doing usually aren't working. And we can't seem to like get that connection back as we're going through a hard time. It's helpful <laughs> to have something to go back to. To say, I know I've heard your voice. I know your word has encouraged me. I know that I have experienced you in community, in times of worship. So that when we get there, it's not that we have nothing to go off of, right? So, it's, so that's why I describe it as a well, because a well has to be dug out over, I think like old fashioned well, not like a drilled one now. Think like you yourself are digging it shovel full by shovel full. And you're digging this well and lining it and making it a deep well that you can draw from, right? So, <clears throat> It's reading the Bible and worship and quiet times and experiences with God so that when we hit the wall, we have something to go back to. Now, how some of us in this room, I know, have, have read this book called The Body Keeps the Score. Sydney and I call it the sad book, okay? Because it is very intense and it's the doctor who wrote it wrote and studied, has studied since the 70s, it's all about traumatic experience and how someone heals from traumatic experience. And he shares a lot of traumatic stories as he's kind of teaching you 
what that means. If you're gonna read that book, just be really prayed up first. That's all I have to say. But this is what he did at first. When he became a doctor in the late 60s and early 70s, he started his work with Vietnam vets who had seen horrible things overseas and some of them had then participated in horrible things overseas and they were traumatized what they, by what they had seen but also traumatized by what they had done. Okay, so he started working with these Vietnam vets trying to figure out why talk therapy, i.e. I tell you what happened and a counselor helps me work those things out, talk therapy didn't, didn't hold long-term results for these soldiers, okay? So that's where he started developing what we have now. We have EMDR, we have cognitive, sorry, other, other ways of working with your brain that isn't up here where we reason things, but is actually back here in our fight or flight brain, which cannot be calmed just by talking about it. There actually has to be some other deep work done to get to that part of your brain. And obviously, if you've been in war, we're talking about this fight or flight part of your brain. We're not talking about the cognitive part of your brain, okay? This is, <laughs> this is as sciencey as I will ever get with you. Point being, as he was working with Vietnam vets, he found that if they had something to go back to, i.e., they had experienced love before, they had experienced security before, they had experienced self-esteem before, that working with their background before the war happened, they could get healthy again and heal from the trauma. Why? Because they had experienced love, acceptance, security, and wholeness, okay? So he could talk with them and say, let's go back to before the trauma happened, because there was someone in there that had experienced these things that we know that like babies need, right? Like the first year of a child's life, they need to know that they are loved, they need to be securely attached, all these things. And he stopped working with Vietnam vets because this is what he realized. He said they have something to go back to. So they have hope to be healed. But then he started working with children, almost exclusively with children who had been traumatized. And what he found was that they had nothing to go back to. If they had birthed into an abusive home or a negligent home, they had never had that secure attachment. They had never had that sense of security. So their healing was much more difficult than these adults who had something to go back to because they had experienced the secure attachment. He found it almost impossible for a child who was traumatized from a young age and had never experienced that secure attachment to be able to go forward into health as someone else would because they had nothing to go back to. They had never experienced unconditional love or safety. Does that make sense to everybody? So that, and that's, that is why we are focused on foster adoption clinic, right? Because the first half of the book is him sharing all the things that traumatize people. It's very traumatizing to read. 
And the second half of his book is, how do we fix it? How do we help? How do we offer things to people who don't have something to go back to? So all that said, this is what I'm trying to say to you. I'm not comparing the two things, to be clear. But what I'm saying is, is that we need to develop this well. We need to dig out the well that we have so that when we get to the wall, when we're in the dark night of the soul, when we come against tragedies and other things, as much as we can tell God like David did, I hate this. This is awful. This is all bad. We can say, yet I know that you're good. I know that you're faithful. And even if we don't feel it, we can say that. And what can we do? Continually, okay, I will walk through this, right? I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater because why? I've known you. I've had a secure relationship with you. I've experienced your love. I've seen you do miracles. And so then when we hit up against these things, we can, what does the Bible say? A thousand times. We can remember what the Lord has done. Amen. Right? And that's why relying on others for our relationship with God gets us nowhere. Because when you're in the dark night of the soul, I don't know about you, but there ain't nothing my husband can say to me, blessing that he is, that can get me out of that place. Right? There's nothing Jordan can say to me. There's nothing mom and dad can say to me that will get me out of that place or speak to that deep part of my soul that needs to be healed in that place. No one else can do that. So if we don't have a relationship where, God, I know what your word says. God, I can hear your voice. I am in a community that come heck or high water will love me and pray for me and support me, Amen. which I believe is what we have here at Hope. You're, you're, how do we get through those times? What do we have? That's why when God says, this is good for you, and this is good for you, don't forsake meeting together. Have your scripture, or have scripture on your, on your mind day and night. Repeat it to your children. Right, all these things that the, that the Lord says to do, it's because he knows what our lives will entail. And he knows that we need these things. But it's, it's interestingly both a sense of self-agency, I need to have these disciplines, but also a complete dependence on knowing that when the rubber meets the road, all I can do is say, help. Right? Remind me of what God said to me, Trey. Remind me what God said to me. Right? And having people around you who will pray and lift you up, but also knowing in your heart that you have experienced him, that you know he's good. Right? Mom, oh, mom just told me the story of when she and my dad were first married. They took a year off of ministry because they had been serving at their church because their pastor told them, you need to remember in five years when you have kids and things are crazy, you need to remember that you can have fun together. <laughs> so he's like, just go off and just do every fun thing that you can and don't worry about serving at church that first year of marriage. Amen. Just go have fun, right? And he's like, because you'll need to remember 
this person is fun. I really enjoy spending time with them, right? And that's the same idea, isn't it? So I think about King David. King David was anointed king at a young age. Like I think about, you know, our, our, our oldest boys and girls kind of who are part of our kids' church. They're 10, they're 11. You're anointed king and then you're not actually made king for like 20 some odd years. And King David, so let's say David the shepherd boy, David the no one watching him, no one concerned about him, no one interested in him. He has all these years of solitude hanging out with sheep while he was not yet king. And it's in those hidden years where he spent his days working, but also aware of God's presence. He was clearly someone who very much loved God. And then when it was time for him to face Goliath or listen to God to keep safe from Saul, who was attacking him, or write the Psalms, all of that came pouring out of him. But I believe that it was in those years as a shepherd that all of that was developed. Yes. And then when it was time for him to make big decisions and write Psalms and all that stuff, like that's when it came out. Does that make sense? But it was like this well he had been digging for years of obscurity, of no one caring what he thought or caring what he said. And, and that foundation wasn't laid while he was king. That foundation wasn't laid while he had important decisions to make and tough stuff to go through and running for his life. That, that foundation was laid while he was a lone shepherd boy. Right? So it's like, don't wait for the big opportunity, for the crisis, for whatever else, right? To, to have that time with the Lord, to dig that well. Let's be digging it day by day, week by week. And mamas and dads, sure, all of us, <laughs> I understand the challenge that that is. But sometimes it's just going to be a few verses of scripture every day. Sometimes it's going to be listening to a Bible on audiobook as you drive to school with your kid. And you're like, we're going to listen about King David this morning. And y'all hear one little snippet of scripture on your way to school. I, I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't think the importance is quantity. I'm not saying you have to spend hours every night with your Bible like I did. <laughs> I'm saying that wherever we are, we can just say, that's another shovel of dirt. That's another brick laid, right? That's, that's I just tied the rope on the bucket this morning. <laughs> I don't know how you make a well. But we can do a little bit, bit by bit, right? Where we're consistently digging that well. And how do we dig it? I'd say one is scripture, right? Just being in God's word, reading the Bible. Find a translation you like or a translation that you like listening to. Put the, put the reader's voice on British and, and feel like you're in Downton Abbey. I don't know. <laughs> I've done it. Um, 2 Timothy says, all scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke or reprimand or correction, for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. 
Okay. The second one I would say would be silence, stillness, hearing God's voice. How do we hear God's voice? Everyone probably feels like they hear God's voice differently. Some people feel like they hear very clear words in their mind. Some people feel like they see a picture of what God is trying to show them or what they're doing. Some people feel a feeling in their tummy and they just kind of know like this is what God's doing or this is what he's saying. And if you're having trouble hearing God's voice, this is what I would suggest. Get quiet, get alone, and say, Lord, would you just give me one word? Just give me one word that describes how you feel about me. And see what that one word is. See if, if you're like, oh, that's my own brain, or if it feels different. Like, no, maybe that is God speaking to me. And learn to hear his voice. In 1 Samuel 3, Samuel is a very young boy. And the Lord calls for him three times, Samuel, Samuel. And the first two times, he doesn't know it's God. But the third time, his pastor says, I think God's speaking to you. Go back again. And this time, when you hear God's voice, say, your servant's listening. And so he goes back, and as a young boy, God says, Samuel, Samuel, and he replies, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the reason why I bring up that scripture is because we have these two things together. We have God's scripture, his word that stands forever, and then we also have the fact that God wants to speak to us each, right, in his own way. So it's both of those things together. Scripture is the foundation, and then also we each get to hear from him. And then third is community. The way we see and know God through the people around us shapes us more than we know. Who is teaching us? Who is praying for us? Who is encouraging us? Who has permission to lovingly rebuke or challenge us? Who do you want to look like? That's a great question. Who are the voices that have shaped who I am? The people we surround ourselves with is very important. And the community of God that we're in is very important. In Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And this is where that word comes from. So that word counsel in Hebrew is my favorite. He There's two favorite Hebrew words, and this is one of them. It's sowed. And what it means is sitting in the circle. And it means like sitting in a council of people. Like who is your sowed? Who is the circle of people in which you sit? Who, whose counsel you listen to? Whose voices you're hearing? And that's what it's talking about here. Whose counsel are you sitting in? Are you sitting in the counsel of the Lord and of the righteous? Are you sitting in the counsel of the wicked and the sinners and the mockers or scoffers? Right? So it's like if I picture in my brain a circle of the people that have counsel in my life that I'm sitting in, what does that circle look like? And are those people who I want to have a life like? Right? Are those people people who I respect, who I want to hear from? In Psalm 27, it's, or Proverbs 27, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And I like this because what it's actually talking about is who do I have conflict with? 
Because <laughs> iron sharpening iron isn't like snuggling. <laughs> right? Iron sharpening iron is this brushing and sparks flying. And I think of like, I think of like my relationship with Amos and like, sorry, we argue, right? We argue and we love each other and we have a great time, but it's in the conflict that we are the most refined. Does that make sense? So that's not to say we should be having conflict all the time, but I'm saying conflict in Christian community looks different. And it's actually very important. And that is what you won't get sitting at home watching a sermon for church. When your butt is in the seat, you actually have to bump up against other people. And that is where refinement happens over the long term. And then lastly, in Ecclesiastes, it says, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? I, they always use this as like a marriage thing. But I'm like, let's just make it, what's it called? What's the word for when a relationship isn't romantic? Platonic. Let's make this scripture, make the scripture platonic again, okay? It literally like, think of two people in battle or something like that, okay? If two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Hello, if you're trying to do it all alone, you're, you're, it's, just, it's just you. You need to have people alongside you to keep you warm. We're talking battle. We're talking the middle of the night when you're freezing. You need to have someone to spoon. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, how much of this is Paul going to have to edit? <laughs> And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him, right? I think of the fact that Andrea and I have been friends for like almost 20 years and the amount of time that we have reminded each other of what God has said and said, that is a lie from the enemy. Don't listen to that. Or you're not seeing things clear. I love you, but you are not seeing things clearly. Right? And there's, there's, a, there's such love and security that that correction is also found as love. Amen. That's part of our relationship together. That when she corrects me or I correct her, it doesn't feel like correction. It feels like someone trying to save you <laughs> from yourself, you know, from something silly that you're gonna do. And then it says a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. That's, that's the one they always use in marriage, which is, it's true. But this idea that the more tightly woven, right? The more people in our lives that are there to support us, the, the less likely we are to break when we come to the wall or we come to the dark night of the soul. It's like, I, I need people around me who will not give all the advice and who will not be like Job's friends, like, well, you must have sinned or it's because you're not doing this. No, but who will literally just be there with you, pray for you, be patient with you as you go through this time. So those are the three things, scripture, silence, stillness, hearing God's voice, and community that I think are the parts of digging that well. So, oh no, sorry, I was trying to get done by 11.15 because I want us to have time. So let's pray. And then we're gonna trunk or table or treat? I guess table or treat, then we'll table or treat. All right, let's pray. 
Lord, I thank you that your word says that the one who hears your voice and who knows your word, God, is like a tree planted near streams of water that will bear fruit in season. And God, I don't want to be a tree planted in the desert <laughs> or a tree standing alone. Lord, I want to know that the roots of our relationship of who I am, Lord, go down deeper than just the surface level. And so, Lord God, I just pray for each of us right now. If there was something... Um, in my words or in the message today, God, that stuck out. I want to make a habit of reading God's word. I want to make a habit of silence and stillness. I want to be in a community and open myself up to relationships with people who love you, God. Lord, I just, I thank you, Lord, that you're always faithful and you're always good. So, Lord, you see our hearts. And I thank you that your, your word says if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously and with, without shaming you for asking. Lord, we get to ask you for your wisdom and know that you'll give it, Lord. And so we bless you and honor you, Lord. Would you help us dig our wells deep in Jesus' name? Amen. Hi, thanks for tuning in today. If anything that you heard moved you or touched you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. So please head on over to discoverhope.org connect and connect with us. And if you'd like to support the podcast or even sponsor the podcast, just head on over to discoverhope.org giving. Thanks.